You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. Hebrews chapter 5. We've had a couple of messages uh, dealing with a key personality in this chapter and the subsequent chapters, and that's Melchizedek. So we asked the question, who is Melchizedek? looking at it strictly from the Old Testament passages. Additional information is provided in the uh, chapters uh, 7 in particular concerning Melchizedek, information that is not found in the Old Testament. So we won't get to that information until we get to chapter 7. And then we ask and answered the question last week, who needs a high priest anyway? That's not terminology that in our circles, we normally think of is, is a priest, much less a high priest, but Jesus Christ is our high priest, and it's, it's vitally important that we understand what that means. Uh, we are exposed to what it doesn't mean in, many, in, in certain uh, Christian circles because of, of their misuse of this whole concept of priest and high priest. And so this morning we come to chapter 5 and verses 1 through 10, and we ask the question, what is unique about Christ's priesthood? He's talked about as the high priest, but what is unique about his priesthood, and why does it matter? Why should it matter? Why does it matter to you and I? It's not so much a question, why should it? It is a matter of why does it? So the writer begins to unpack truth concerning Christ. And he's exhorting people who are largely from a Jewish background who understand very well the whole ministry of a high priest because that's what they grew up with. And it wasn't until 70 A.D. that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, and so up until that point in time, the high priest was still doing his service at the temple in Jerusalem, and Jewish people, to the extent that they could, even during those final three years, uh, when the city was being laid siege to, those who were in the city were still seeking to uh, function in accordance with the temple and the requirements of the temple and the high priest. They understood the high importance and value of the high priest. It doesn't mean that they were regenerate or born again. It just means they understood the importance of that within the context of Judaism and practiced that. And so the gospel exposed, first and foremost, the Jews, because the gospel went to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. That was God's priority and thus the apostolic priority and that priority is communicated to us in God's Word, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. We know from Paul's ministry, and it wasn't unique to him probably, but in Paul's ministry when he went into the various Gentile towns, if there was a, a significant enough Jewish population there to where they had a synagogue, that's where he went first. And that's where he preached the gospel first. And then he moved out beyond the synagogue context and preached the gospel in the wider context of the Gentiles. 
So the, the Jewish population was increasingly being exposed to the good news of the gospel. And what they were hearing indeed was good news, but it was a call, among other things, to leave the Judaism that they had been raised with behind, to leave the old covenant behind that they had been raised with and that they dearly and deeply embraced, and to turn to Christ as the Messiah, as the Lord, as God, as Savior, and to embrace a new covenant that Christ sealed with his blood. And that new covenant is unfolded to us on the pages of the New Testament. So as the apostles went forth into the various settings in which God led them, what they taught, what they proclaimed were the truths of the new covenant. And so Jewish hearers were called to embrace the new covenant and the Lord God of the new covenant, Jesus Christ. That was a big struggle. It wasn't like, oh, this is new information. This is awesome information. I'm just going to set aside what I've been raised with and what I've been taught to embrace and to hold on to dearly. And, and, uh, and with that, it shows honor and respect to God. It shows honor and respect to my, my people and to my uh, forefathers. I mean, there were deep roots tied to Judaism, to the Old Covenant, and to all that was revealed in it. But God was saying, I gave you that covenant. I wrote that covenant. I raised up the people and the leaders of that covenant. I entrusted them with it. But the old covenant, God was saying, through the apostles, had a shelf life. And that shelf life has expired with the coming of the Messiah, his death, burial, and resurrection. And now the full breadth of the gospel, the good news, is before you. So leave the old covenant behind and embrace the Messiah, Jesus Christ, by faith and embrace the new covenant because you cannot embrace both by way of authority and living. So he, the writer of the Hebrews is exhorting a number of those who had heard the gospel to take that step of actual faith in Christ. They had had massive exposure to the truth of the gospel. And included in that now is truth concerning the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Which meant that they had to be willing to step away from the, the whole dynamic and experience of the high priest in the Old Covenant and embrace Jesus Christ as high priest. And that was going to look different, not only by the way of person, personality, but by the way of practice. There would be no more animal sacrifices. It would not be limited to or focused on a temple in Jerusalem. I mean, there were significant differences. Those are two of the obvious ones. And so he begins this chapter by talking about the purpose of a high priest. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in all things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So the purpose of a high priest, according to the text here, is that a high priest acts on man's behalf before God. So whether or not a person realizes 
the importance of a high priest, the reality is that a high priest represents man to God. In the Old Covenant, the high priest did that. And in the New Covenant, the high priest, Jesus Christ, does that. We need someone to represent us before the living God. And Jesus Christ is the one who does that. He stands with us. He represents us. And because of that, we stand accepted before God. He acts on our behalf before God. Not only that, in that relation, he offers gifts and sacrifices for sins. Under the old covenant, the high priest offered gifts, the gifts of grain offerings and similar offerings to God on behalf of the people. Those were spelled out in the old covenant. And he offered the variety of sacrifices that were stipulated for sin. Those were done by the high priests especially as it pertained to the nation as a whole. And so a vital relationship there, a vital ministry. Now with Jesus Christ, that sacrifice for sin was how often? Once. Under the old covenant, it was a daily occurrence. And with Jesus Christ in his priesthood, the covering, the forgiveness of sins is what? Permanent. Under the old covenant, it was temporary. Vast difference between the two. So in verse 1, a high priest acts on behalf of man before God, and he offers both gifts and sacrifices for sins with the gifts and sacrifices stipulated by God, that this is what I demand with regard to sin. And then with the high priest Jesus Christ, there was a demand for what that sacrifice needed to be on behalf of the sins of humanity. It's very specific. And Christ satisfied that demand by the living God for the sins of humanity in his death on our behalf. But also high priest has identification with the people. Verse 2 says he can have compassion on those who are ignorant. In other words, uninformed. They're not, they're not mindful of the fact that they are committing sin. That's why you read in the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch especially, the first five books of the Bible, especially from Exodus on, there are specific Discussions there about those who commit sin unintentionally. In other words, they, they don't know that what they're doing is sin. And then they become aware of it subsequent to that, and there are sacrifices for that. But the point is that whether a person recognized and realized that what they were doing at the moment was sin, a violation of God's command and God's law, they were still responsible, they were still guilty, and the sin still needed to be covered through sacrifice. That is what is in view here when he says he, he has compassion on those who are ignorant. He doesn't say, dummy, you should have known that. <laughs> he understands that the high priest was to understand anyway. doesn't mean all of them did, but they were supposed to understand that we're not always mindful of, of the demands and 
requirements of God, but we're still accountable. And therefore going astray from, from God's perfect righteous standard. And why does he understand it? Why does he have compassion? Because he himself is also subject to weakness. He is, saying, he is subject to the same weakness towards sin that those that he offers sacrifice on behalf of. You realize that under the Old Covenant, not only did the high priest do the sacrifices that God required for sin, but before he could do so, he had to make sacrifice for his own sin before he could make sacrifice on behalf of others. Not so with Jesus Christ. He did not have to make sacrifice for his own sin because he was God himself. He was perfect and righteous in every way. But that's the ministry of, of a high priest is to have compassion. Verse 3, because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. Because he represents man to God, the holy, righteous, living God. And we cannot come into his presence with sin. It must be atoned for. Not only that, there's the legitimacy of the high priest spoken of in verse 4. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New, the new, Old Covenant or New, no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. Aaron, the brother of Moses, was called to this position and this ministry, and that his descendants would serve as the priest and the servants of the first the tabernacle and then the temple. Aaron was called to this position and then his descendants, so that the high priest of Israel under the Old Covenant was always a descendant of Aaron. Couldn't be from any other descendant. Couldn't be from any other tribe. The tribe of Levi, descendant of Aaron, was the tribe of the priests. You couldn't have a high priest or a priest from the tribe of Benjamin or Ephraim, or Naphtali, or Manasseh, or any of, of the other tribes. Had to be from the tribe of Levi, because God called him, God appointed Aaron and then his descendants to, the, excuse me, to this ministry. That's what gave them legitimacy, not themselves. They didn't run for this office. God called them to this office. And in verses 5 and 6, he says, now turning to Jesus Christ. So he's laying out a broad, significant points concerning the ministry of a high priest in the Old Covenant. And now he's saying, concerning Jesus Christ, the one to whom we call you to believe, the one to whom we call you to turn to for salvation. 
Consider this about Jesus Christ. He has legitimacy. He says concerning Christ, we'll get that caught up here. Christ was appointed by God. So also Christ, verse 5, did not glorify himself to become high priest. He did not assert this. The Father is the one who affirmed this concerning Jesus Christ. He is the one who affirmed that Jesus Christ was God the Son and that he is well pleased in him. Hear ye him. Jesus Christ always affirmed that he was here to do the will of the Father. He did not act on his own independent of the Father, but he did all that he did under the direction and authority and plan and purpose of the Father. So Jesus Christ didn't elevate himself to this position. He was called to this position. He was appointed by God. But also Jesus Christ had a unique relationship within the Trinity. As he goes to quote on here, he says, but was he, the father, who said to him, you are my son? No high priest of the old covenant ever had a unique relationship with the triune God like this. Jesus Christ has a unique relationship. He is the son. Within the Trinity, God has revealed himself as one God and three persons, co-equal in every way. And there, God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. That's why we embrace this essential truth about God. And Jesus Christ, within that relationship, is the Son. And that is expressing the reality that Jesus Christ possesses and has the full nature, the exact nature of God. And again, as you think back through the Gospels and the ministry of Jesus Christ, is because Jesus Christ presented himself as the Son of God that the Jewish leaders were enraged and offended because they understood exactly what was being communicated. And what was being communicated was Jesus was saying that I am God. Perhaps you remember the one occasion where they were preparing to attempt to stone Jesus Christ. They attempted that on several occasions. And he asked the question, for what good work do you stone me? And they said, not for any good work that you have done, but because you claim to be the Son of God, therefore claiming to be God, and you blaspheme. Because as far as they were concerned, as great as he was, as good as he was, as effective as he was, he was a man just like them. The leaders of the Jews who opposed him, they looked at him and they saw a man because he was a man. They looked at him eyeball to eyeball and he says, how dare you, how arrogant of you that you, a man, claim to be God. That's what you're saying when you say you're the son of God. We understand what you're saying and we reject it. You're a blasphemer. And for anyone in our midst who, who dares to blaspheme like that, 
There's only one appropriate response under the law, the old covenant, and that is that you must be put to death. Ultimately, that's what happened, right? But it was because they understood what was being communicated with that designation, Son of God. And it's true. So either he was indeed God the Son, or he was a liar. Those who opposed him believed him to be a liar and a blasphemer. Those who, by the grace of God, had their minds and hearts enlightened by the Spirit of God, embraced him for who he was and is, and that is God the Son. So within the Trinity, Jesus Christ is different than any other high priest because he is God, God among us. So you are my son. That's a quote from the Old Testament. Christ has a unique relationship within humanity. All the high priests of the Old Testament had a shelf life too. The Old Covenant had a shelf life. All the high priests had a shelf life. <laughs> it came at different times, but they all died. Once you were appointed a high priest, you stayed in that position until you died. But with Jesus Christ, he doesn't have a shelf life. He, he is eternal. He has eternal life. But God the Son became a man and took on humanity, and that is what is being expressed when it says, Today I have begotten you. That in God's time, in the fullness of time, God the Son took on humanity and dwelt among us. So he's unique from the high priest of the Old Testament. He's fully God and fully man. Now that's the teaching and the assertion of Scripture. And simply because it is taught, simply because it is asserted in Scripture, doesn't mean that men or Jews or anyone will automatically accept it. They don't. The acceptance of Christ, the acceptance of the triune God, the acceptance of the truth of Scripture happens because of the ministry of the Spirit of God in us, causing us to respond to the truth. So as believers, we can only be humble about embracing Christ for who he is as Lord and Savior, embracing God for who he is, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because there's many people who are exposed to these truths that do not embrace them, who reject them, or just are indifferent to them. So he has a unique relationship with humanity, and in verse 6, he has a unique priesthood. This is our high priest. This is who's representing us before God the Father right now. He also says in another place, Psalm 110, You, this is a psalm where it says, The Lord said to my Lord, in verse 1 of Psalm 10, get down to verse 4, and this is a quote of that. 
He says, you are a priest forever. Jesus Christ, you are a forever priest. Aaron was not a forever priest. He lived several decades. He died, and his term as a high priest was done forever. And every high priest in the Old Covenant has been the same. But Jesus Christ is a priest forever. He's a perpetual priest, a forever priest. According to the order of not Aaron, not that there's anything wrong with that, but Melchizedek. And and the the writer will expand on that in chapter 7, so I'm going to resist the urge to expand on that this morning. We're just going to flow through the text, and when we get there, we'll, we'll let that expansion happen. We'll let the flow of thought go. But here's the assertion that, that Jesus Christ is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was, as we saw from the Old Testament, king of Salem, king of righteousness. He, had, he, he was located in the city of Salem, which was ancient Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he was a high priest to the Most High God. Abraham paid tithes to him. So he was a historical figure. But we don't have a lot of detail about him, even in the scriptures. But his priesthood predated the Old Covenant. His priesthood was recognized as the priesthood of the Most High God. He certainly wasn't a descendant of Aaron. (laughs) Jesus Christ has a unique priesthood. It's different. It's perpetual. It's eternal. So to embrace him for who he is means to leave behind what was contained and revealed in the old. And we see the perfection of Christ's priesthood. Should be through verse 10. Now, watch this. Concerning Jesus Christ, this one who is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries, just picture our Lord Jesus Christ in prayer, vehemently crying out to the Father. That's intense. That's energy. That's passion. With vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. He was perfected through prayer. It's one thing to know about events and occurrences in this life. It's a whole different ballgame when you experience those. And Jesus Christ in his humanity, related to God in his humanity, even though he was God the Son, in his humanity he related to God as a man, And he was perfected through prayer. He knew the importance and the reality of prayer. 
Perfected doesn't imply imperfection. It implies maturity, going through the experience of what it is to relate to God as a human being. And Jesus Christ did that. What this tells us, by way of application, is that prayer is so vital and so central. It is key to our being perfected. I do not pray enough. I'll confess that to you. As I look at what is being said here, and I evaluate my own life, I do not pray enough. I am not perfected nearly as I ought to be by prayer, but what this is teaching me and teaching us is that an essential part of being perfected as a human being, our relationship with God, is to talk to Him through prayer, often with sincerity. Just look at the descriptions here about His prayers. He offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries. That's intensity of the soul. So I ask myself, how often do I vehemently with great intensity and passion of the soul call out to God? I'm not talking about calling out in a loud voice, demonstrating to people. I'm just talking about from the depths of my soul with all sincerity, with genuine passion, calling out to God with tears. Rarely do I cry in my communication with God in prayer. Jesus Christ did. That was part of what it meant to be perfected, to be matured in in his humanity in that relationship with God. And he cried out to God the Father, recognizing that it is God the Father who is the one who is able to save him from death, to save us from death. And he was heard because of his godly fear and respect. If we take nothing else from this passage in in our time together this morning, this priority of prayer and examining ourselves in in our prayer and our communication with God. Jesus Christ was perfected through prayer. We mature. Through prayer. That's not the totality of what causes us to mature, but it's an essential part of what causes us to mature. Prayer. Our personal conversation with God. He was perfected through suffering. Though he was a son... Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. When I hear, especially high school athletes talk, and football in particular, talk about conditioning before um, practice officially begins and the suffering that goes with it, I can relate to it. Because when I was in high school, we had, I played football and we had uh, summer conditioning, like two weeks before official practice began, and it was brutal. And the coaches almost seemed like they took delight in making us suffer. (laughs) Push, 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 push. 
you couldn't think you could go anymore and they made you. And it started out with three a day and then two a day. And then one a day was like heaven. (laughs) But it's one thing for someone who's never been through summer conditioning for football to think about it. They, They can't really relate to it because they've never experienced it. But I can relate to it, and I can relate to those who've been, who, who currently go through it, because I have experienced it. And I don't want to experience it again. <laughs> Christ was perfected by suffering. The Father didn't insulate the Son from the experiences of life in a sin-cursed world. Jesus Christ never sinned, but he was not shielded from suffering. He knew the sorrow of death. When Lazarus died and he arrived, it says Jesus, the shortest verse in the New Testament, Jesus what? Wept. That wasn't a superficial show of emotion. Oh, Jews cry in this culture when death happens. I'm a Jew. I think I will cry too. I really don't feel like crying, but I'll cry just because. No, it was genuine. And when you have experienced the loss of a loved one, especially unexpectedly, then you can relate to others who have experienced that loss as well because you've been through the experience. And that's what it says about Jesus Christ. He was not shielded by the Father from any level of suffering. And ultimately, he experienced the greatest suffering in humanity. But he suffered. And you know what? As we sang about the Father this morning, he's a good Father, and he is. And part of that goodness is he doesn't insulate us from suffering. He doesn't insulate us from suffering. It's part of of our maturity and being perfected. And Jesus Christ, as our high priest, suffered. No suffering was held back from him. Lied about, framed, called a blasphemer, misrepresented, hated, opposed, ultimately crucified, He experienced the full gamut of suffering. And our high priest, when we come to him, guess what? We call out to him and he says, I know. I know. I know. Because he has suffered completely. Do you think that it hurt Jesus Christ when Judas betrayed him. One of the greatest pains that we can have in life is when other people, especially that have been close to us, betray us on some level. That happened to Jesus. 
And he was the one who led the soldiers and the Jewish leaders to him and identified him. I mean, he, he suffered. And, and the Father does not shield us from suffering. Maybe that's in part why James says, count it all joy when what? You suffer. Fall into various trials and testings and difficulties. Count it all joy. He perfected also the source of eternal salvation. Verse 9, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. That is, obey the gospel. Obey God's call to us to put our trust in Christ. God doesn't give us a suggestion to trust Christ. He gives us a command. He gives us a call to trust him. One of the, to me, one of the strong and Fascinating and startling statements in the book of Acts is when Paul said that he and his ministry team and obviously the other apostles, as they went about and preached the gospel, they said that God commands all men everywhere to do what? To repent and believe the gospel. Commands it. He doesn't say, I'd really like it. It would be wonderful and awesome. I'd feel really good if you would believe the gospel, if you would repent. If you would respond in a positive manner, make my day. He commands because of who he is and who we are. And Jesus Christ is our high priest. He is the author of eternal salvation. The high priests of the Old Testament, they couldn't offer salvation. Jesus Christ is the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him meaning to put their trust in him for who he is, Lord God, Messiah, and Savior. So the one who represents us as our high priest is the author of eternal salvation, gives us eternal salvation, and we're sustained in that salvation by him, not by ourselves. He's our high priest. So we need a high priest. He is our high priest. And then in verse 10, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And what is being emphasized here is that this is a perpetual priesthood. He is always there providing all the ministry of a high priest to us on our behalf. And he understands us completely. Because in his humanity, he lived the fullness of the human life. The Father withheld no experience from him. He experienced it all. He understands us completely. And he knows where we are. And he knows where we need to be. And he faithfully works on our behalf and represents us on our behalf as our high priest. Now, this isn't necessarily the kind of truth that, is the, that ties into our emotions and, and moves us emotionally. Although perhaps on some level, in some aspects, it does. But it is truth that is there to frame our thinking so that as we think about our relationship with God, we're realizing that we have a faithful high priest, a perpetual high priest, 
in the person of Jesus Christ. And he is faithfully standing there before the Father, representing us on our behalf. So that's why the writer of Hebrews is laying these truths out, because as we begin in verse 11, there's strong exhortations that move on into chapter 6. It's saying, you cannot be indifferent to the truth of Christ and the gospel. You cannot walk away from it and expect to experience genuine repentance. Strong exhortations because of who Christ is. So let's rejoice this morning, at least in our understanding of our faithful high priest, the one who is faithfully standing before God, representing us, understanding us completely. There's nothing that we experience that Jesus Christ has not been exposed to. And he's there to strengthen us, to intercede for us, to move us along. Let's bow in prayer. Father, today we give you thanks for this time we've had together in your word. And Lord, for these wonderful and great truths. Lord, at least we confess that we don't have that, that level of knowledge and relationship to this whole concept of a priest or a high priest. But we realize, Lord, that we need to have and embrace these great truths concerning Jesus Christ as our eternal, perpetual high priest who is the author of eternal salvation and in him, we have eternal representation on our behalf before you. We are secure in you because of our high priest. And Lord, today, we thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you understand. Yes, you understand. And you know how to take us from where we are to where we need to be in your plan and purposes And you understand what it is to live as a human in this sin-cursed world. You did so without sin, but you did it. You experienced it all. And we thank you that we can come to you. And your attitude isn't, I did it, you do it too. What's your problem? It's, I understand and you intercede for us, you're making intercession for us. Just as you were patient and faithful with your disciples, Lord, you're faithful and patient with us because you know us and understand us. We thank you. We thank you. Father, as we go from here, may we be a blessing to those around us. May we be an encouragement to our fellow believers, and Father, may we be a witness communicating the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to those that you have in our lives who do not 
know Christ. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.